This is a Podcast 225 production. The issues. What's going on now? What's happening in the state? The people. Carl Dabity. We've got Michael Shingle, Taylor Moore, Jay Darden, Congressman Garrett Gray, Richard Condon. He is Ryan Clark, Sharon Weston Broom. The podcast. And we're going to talk about that. This is the Clay Young Show. Episode 221 is here. Welcome back to podcast225.com. How about you folks? Hopefully everything is going great. We are in Thanksgiving season. Yes, Thanksgiving, my favorite holiday of the year. No pressure, just fantastic food, family, and oh yeah, football too. I love this time of the year. Don't love it as much when it's unseasonably cold here, but I'm hearing from more and more people that, hey, I like the cold, Clay. I don't mind the cold, I just don't like it when it's raining too, but so far, so so good. We got uh, a really good one for you today. Of course, I say that on every show, and I haven't lied yet. This week's edition of the Clay Young Show will feature a conversation with John Cuvion. You know it, he's back again to talk about this weekend's election. The governor's race at the top of the ticket, Eddie Rispone, John Bell Edwards, who will be the governor of Louisiana next year. John's got his perspective on that. We're going to talk with him about that. And if you haven't noticed, there is a brand new show here on podcast225.com, the Crime Stoppers podcast. Episode one is up right now. Hopefully you've heard it. If you have not, you will hear an excerpt from episode number one and we will have the lead investigator in that case on the show. Detective Walter Griffin with the Baton Rouge Police Department will join us to talk a little bit about the case of Janessa Hartley. Nessa, as she is known by her friends and family, it was a very, very gruesome murder in January of this year. And the Crime Stoppers podcast will be an episodic journey into these unsolved cases. It's going to happen twice monthly, and so if you haven't had a chance to check it out, uh, listen through uh, to this show, and then check out the Crime Stoppers podcast. I do believe that you will be intrigued by what you hear. Uh, We tell you all the time there are new shows coming. You hear that promo that runs, and, and that's not even it. We've got other things on the horizon. The Crime Stoppers podcast is just the latest edition to the podcast 225 family, but there is more to come. Okay, quickly, tell people about what you hear. Share it. If you are an Apple user, if you get the show on iTunes and you get a chance to subscribe, which I recommend, leave us a review there, five-star rating. Uh, Say something about the show. It helps us as Apple is really giving people insight or a nod to the shows that they should be listening to. Thank you so much. I run into more and more people who listen to the podcast. In fact, there's a friend of mine who's at the gym when I'm there in the mornings, and I was working out yesterday, and and he said, uh, I was walking by, speaking to him. They were having conversation. He said, Clay, my wife's asking, when's, when's the podcast coming back? So we were on hiatus because of the Crime Stoppers podcast that that is up now and waiting on this election week. And so it's up. So there you go. And I appreciate all of you who listen to the show and the feedback you give me is just, it's fantastic. And so thank you so much. You can email me if you have show suggestions or guests you'd like to have onto the show. That email address is clay at podcast225.com. Of course, on social media, if you're into that kind of thing, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, clay underscore young BR. And on the Twitter at at Clay Young Br, not two ats, just at Clay Young Br. How about the politics? The governor's race. What is going to happen this weekend? Let's talk about it with John Cuvion. Podcast225.com. Promote your business or organization on Podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. 
posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Clay Young here with Charles Harvey with the Metropolitan Health Group. If someone has been in an accident or has suffered an injury and they need experienced medical treatment, they can come to Metro. Absolutely. That's what we're here for. We've been in business for over 30 years in Baton Rouge and Lafayette. We have licensed physicians mm-hmm. who've been practicing medicine for several years. They're here to get these people back on their road to recovery. If you've been in an accident, you can go today. You don't have to set an appointment. You can walk in and be seen. Absolutely. Call, have your attorney call us, get you in to see the doctor, same day appointments. Um, we cater to you. So if you've been in an accident or suffered an injury and you needed to see a doctor immediately, Immediately, you can call Metro and you can make that happen. Absolutely. So there you go. If you need a physician for physical therapy or some other medical issue, contact the folks at Metropolitan Health Group in Baton Rouge at 225-926-3343. That's 926-3343. Here we go. go. This is the Clay Young Show. Back with John Cuvion, the man behind JMC Analytics and polling. He was here a couple of weeks ago raising all kind of hell. I was just an innocent bystander. Sitting over here minding my business. Well, that's not necessarily the truth. But we talked about the governor's race just after the only gubernatorial debate that took place. And now we are on the precipice of the election between Governor John Bell Edwards and Eddie Rasponi. JC, well, here we are, man. Hard to believe. It's been a very long election year, hasn't it? It really has. And let's start at the beginning. I know this is what people are going to want to hear. We're not going to make them wait for it. <laughs> what happens on Saturday? I'd give you, I'd give you Governor Edwards a slight favorite to win. I agree. Uh, I And so let's now get into why the we believe that. Part. Yeah. yeah. So when we were on the show a couple of weeks ago and we talked about this. Yes. I said that I believed Governor John Bell Edwards had to aggressively go after the African-American vote. Yes. While hoping Republicans would be disillusioned and stay home because whatever Republican vote I thought he was going to get, you know, the Republicans out there that were with him. I think they were with him in this last go around. And they likely not many of them were going to cross over from Eddie in the runoff or, you know, and so. I thought that he needed the Republicans to have some apathy and stay home. Yes. It does appear that there's a little bit of that going on. Well, this is this is kind of gra- uh, picking at straws here. I'm going to say not so much apathy as... Maybe not apathy, but, but choosing not to... Ch- they can't support Governor... They don't want to support Governor Edwards because he's a Democrat, but they're not warm and fuzzy over Eddie Rispone as a candidate. Yeah, I think it is more true than not to say that he, he Rispone, has not closed the deal with these particular Republicans. But I think the bigger picture is this. So in the beginning, which is the primary. Mm-hmm. Pull that mic a little bit closer. You to had it. a more engaged Republican electorate, which in my opinion was due to the politics of impeachment mm-hmm. that the Democrats were initiating. Right. Well, along, oh, and in my opinion, as I mentioned in our last interview, Governor Edwards and his people were guilty of, in my opinion, being overconfident and pursuing this nonsense about winning in the primary, which I think had the perverse effect of probably depressing Democratic turnout a little bit. No question. They never should have been saying that. So along comes the runoff, and what do I see? I see black turnout going from 25 to 31 Mm percent, and by the way, that wasn't just a one-day blip. It was six days of blacks yeah. representing 30% of the early voting turnout electorate. Mm-hmm. On the second Saturday, it was 40%. The only time I've ever seen it that astronomically high was in 2008 for the Obama campaign. Sure. In other words, out of approximately 120 data points I looked at regarding early voting, only a handful of times were they at that 40% mark, and they were all in the Obama campaign. Mm-hmm. So. Basically, what you had was you had uh, Democrats ran the tables for seven days. So the predominant messaging I'm hearing from Republican partisans right now is, oh, well, they just front loaded. Don't worry about it. You know, nothing here to see folks move along. Well, Mm -hmm. I decided to be the troublemaker that I always am. And I did (laughs) I did something that very few people typically take the time to do. I dug in. 
I dug, well, that too. <laughs> I, I dug into the data of those who had early voted in the runoff. Mm-hmm. And what I found was this. 87% or about 425,000 of those early voters, they were what I call old voters, meaning they voted in the primary. Mm-hmm. That group of people was 30% black and 39% Republican. Then there is this sliver of about 13% or 60,000 of voters who popped in off the radar. They did not vote in the October primary, and they early voted. That 60,000 voters, 41% of them were black and 29% were Republican. So if you're me and you try to have a dispassionate eye on these kinds of things, you see, number one, there were seven days of early voting where the black percent of the electorate was higher. Number two, you see that there's 60,000 new voters that were had a much higher black percentage than those who were, they voted in the primary. Number three, you have absentee voting, which is the mail-in balloting still occurring. When I looked at three days of that compared to the primary, again, I saw a case of 7,500 absentee votes in the primary, which were 28% black, compared to as of last night, 8,000 of them that were 33% black. Are you believing these to be new voters? It could be a mixture, but I guess the bigger point is this. Every time I keep looking out there and comparing October to November, I'm seeing an elevated black turnout. So here's a question for you. Yes. I had a, a conversation with a friend of mine who's in the legislature about this yesterday. Is this an addition to the turnout from October? Yes. Or? Well, <laughs> Not a one for one, but yes. So, or is it, is it, so, wow. Well, let me finish the question and then, because you've yeah. answered it. I was going to ask, is this, is this an addition to the turnout from October or are these the same voters who decided to early vote and they won't be voting Saturday. Well, the 8,000, I don't yet have that data, so I cannot give you a definitive answer on that. But the way I look at it is this. We already know that there's 60,000 new voters mm-hmm. relative to the primary, and those 60,000 are 40% black. That's a that's, huge... That's, that's John Bell. So that's a, that's a John Bell oh, turnout. Yeah, absolutely. Then huh. there's one more piece of the puzzle, and this is where I'm going to go out on a limb, as I so often do, and okay. thus far the limb has held up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so what the Republicans are trying to say is that, well, these are cannibalized votes. I already proved with the early vote that that is not the case. Mm-hmm. There's one more piece of the puzzle we don't know. So here's how I look at it. You have 974,000 people in the primary who vote on Election Day. Yeah. That 974,000 was 28.4% black. In other words, it was three points higher than it was in the early voting. Mm-hmm. So even with the Democrats, in my opinion, being kind of overconfident in the primary, Mm -hmm. they improved their performance by three points. Here's the question mark, which I think I have an answer to. I don't believe for a second that that 974,000 Election Day voters from the primary is a static number. I'm thinking there's going to be 50 to 100,000 more new voters. Oh, absolutely. Because here's the thing. If you were a novice at this kind of data analysis, you would say, well, because runoff early voting was 30% above what it was in the primary, that means turnout is going to be 30% higher. And that's why I say, "Uh uh-uh, I'm calling BS. In other words, 30% higher than the primary would suggest a turnout in the 60-plus percent range, which Mm -hmm. I don't believe for a millisecond. No. Year? No. Right. I do believe, however, if it was 46% in the primary, I do believe it can be in the low to mid-50s in terms of the primary turnout. A 50% turnout. I'm thinking 52 to 55. Hmm. And and your calculations are based upon what? It's based on kind of, I guess, gut-level feel and actual data. The actual data being this continuous increase in turnout relative to the primary I'm seeing. Which is attributed to what? I'd say it's two things. The first was, on the Republican side, I think there is disgust at the politics of impeachment being played out. That largely made its impact felt in the primary. Yeah, and, and it still- just popped up last week as, you know, or week before last as, I mean, we had just wrapped up that show yes. when news broke of the, the, the vote for the resolution to start this process. Yes. And it, I, I don't, I, excuse me for interrupting, I just... I think you are. You said it then before we had that happen. Mm -hmm. And then we're back at it again. And the president was recently here as we record this in Monroe and is going back to North Louisiana. And I my question about that is I 
Eddie Rispone ten seems to not be as strong up there as one would think. And for the president returning an hour and a half from where he was a week ago, that makes me go, hmm. There's several things I'd like to point out there. One is qualitative. Yeah. I mean, one is quantitative, a couple of qualitative. The okay. quantitative is this. So, again, the conventional wisdom is, oh, well, President Trump came to Monroe and he brought all these Republicans to go early vote, especially since he particularly mentioned that during his speech. Mm-hmm. So I did what very few people do. I looked at the data. Yeah. I calculated that in the Monroe media market of which Washita Parish slash Monroe is the epicenter. Yeah. In other words... In Louisiana speak, it's Northeast Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Okay. In that area, I calculated an additional 2,500 votes on Thursday and Friday, which arguably could be attributable to the lingering effect from the, the Trump visit. Mm-hmm. In other words, not very much. Right. So that's the quantitative part. The qualitative part is this, what you just mentioned, number one. I'm going to go a little deeper and notice this. In the Trump speech in Monroe, you'll notice that Abraham and Rispone did not appear on the same stage. Was Abraham there? He was. He was there. He I didn't see him in anything, so he was there. Okay. They were, they were there at different times. <laughs> Interesting. So, we talked about that the last time we, were, we, we did this show. We did. And I think for the optics... Uh, it, they should have been together. They should have been together. But I have it on good authority that Abraham's team does not like Eddie and his team. Bingo. And they have not been able to overcome that. And Abraham, if he, the one thing about him to know if you know him is he's a gentleman. Yes. And I, I think he took personally, and I know his team took personally, oh, yeah. the attacks that happened. I think they believe it went well beyond politics and was beyond the pale. Yes. And those fences have not been mended. Yes. And here's the problem. It'd be one thing if Ralph Abraham were, say, a congressman representing Baton Rouge, where you're just another face in the crowd. Yeah. When you're talking about representing a rural area mm-hmm. where you were a lot of these constituents, uh, you, you, you helped uh, heal a sick child or a sick pet. He polls in the 70s. In other words, he's part of the fabric in Northeast Louisiana. Yeah. You pick on Ralph Abraham, you yeah. pick on them. Yep. And that's exactly what you just said is the way that that translates. Yes. Now, I don't want that to be lost on people that in these rural areas, they take ownership on the people who represent them. They yes. view them. It's almost like small town USA. Oh, yeah. And even though this guy is a medical doctor and he's a member of Congress to he's just doc up yeah, there. He's he's doc. And here's the thing, too, about rural campaigning, which I learned the hard way when I was doing a legislative race back in 2011. So I was working for a Republican candidate who was in a runoff up in a North Louisiana race. Uh Well, along comes in a certain special interest group that dropped a bunch of negative mail against the Democrat running. Uh I'm convinced that those negative mailers had a boomerang effect that hurt our campaign because our opponent was someone who... He was a principal who mm-hmm. had been a teacher for something like three decades. So, of course, everyone knew who, what he was, who he was. Mm-hmm. I've learned that when you do personal attacks in a rural district, it is absolutely a waste of backfires. Time. Yeah, backfires. People don't, you know, the, the so let's dig deeper into that. Mm-hmm. Most people from 50,000 feet would look at a rural community with the the lack of some of the modernity of. Of, of a city, right? right? And you think you kind of look down on those areas. People often do. Yes. And I often, well, I push back on that because what you, what you miss is that these are the most engaged of voters. Oh, absolutely. They live this stuff and they pay attention and on radio and on the six o'clock and 10 o'clock news, where in rural areas, news watchers are in higher volume in many ways and in some cities because there's less to do. Right. They're seeing these ads. Yes. And and so you're right about the boomerang effect. So the attacks on Abraham, on his honesty, on what he was doing with money, on his personal credibility, the fact that they weren't on stage together says that that the rift is there. But I have to ask, okay. does that translate into votes going in protest to John Bell or in what I think is more likely people who are ardent supporters of Congressman Abraham saying, I'm not going to go vote for John Bell, but I ain't voting for Eddie Responey. 
Well, let's pretend for a second that you're some of these voters, because you have to remember, it's not that many votes Governor Edwards has to peel off. We're talking about 10 to 15 percent of the mm-hmm. Abraham total. Mm-hmm. Not very many. So let's say that you're some of these voters who may live in that part of the state. Yeah. They may be old style Democrats, mm-hmm. and chances are they're probably voting Republican for just about everything. Sure. But if there is a Democrat who somehow appeals to their their kind of persona, mm-hmm. I could see them, you know, voting their ancient Democratic partisan loyalties. Yeah. And and particularly since too, some of Ralph Abraham's district goes into Tangibahoe Parish and the northern part of that parish is governor edwards's home base yeah yeah so the the let's talk a little bit about some of the ads even more and since we were last together the the two most controversial among them were ads based on eddie Responi's interview and his comments about governor edwards time at west point and how you know west point should be embarrassed that he you know he intended because it was a horrible thing to say and it was stupid. Right. Uh, John, Bill, John Bill Edwards was in his 20s at the time when he went to West Point. He served his nation. He was an Army Ranger. And I think that Responi is better than saying something so asinine and right. should have said, and don't give me this crap about I'm not indicting every person in the military <laughs> and people standing up yeah. and defending it. It was crass. Right. On the other side, connecting Responi to David Duke yeah, it's equally bad. dumb. Yeah. Like, what? what is that? So you basically have two ads that equally are lame in terms of having any kind of truth or sense to them. The way I look at the Responi ad was that it's one thing if you wanted to, say, make fun of Governor Evers for being a quote-unquote ambulance chaser. I would have used that. I mean, that that I mean, that's just that's because, just plain old politics yeah, right there. Yeah, and that's even a greater pejorative than trial lawyer. Sure. Because that is the stereotype people have of attorneys mm-hmm. is the quote-unquote ambulance, ambulance chaser. chaser. Yeah. I would have said that and absolutely not made any connection to West Point because that's called you don't go there. You just don't do that. And I think it was an off-the-cuff. So everybody's got to remember, Eddie is brand new at this. And, and he doesn't have the instinct that a lot of seasoned electeds would have in in that when you're in an interview you never let your guard down he doesn't but where's his political staff blocking and tackling that's true but by the time it was said there was nothing they could do i think it was i would have prepped him probably but that's probably something if if that's something that he has said in private quarters with his group or just off color with somebody and nobody corrected him I mean that's just that's that that's malpractice of someone who's who's a who's a, a strategist or a consultant because you you're, you're you got to tell the guy oh no you know you can't say that right right and if it was one of those things where it was the first time he said it and it just happened to be on radio which is possible there's nothing they can do right but there's another uh, there's another aspect to that so the blunder is bad enough but doubling down on the blunder to me yeah that was that was because bad. in other words let's let's pretend that while he was saying this all of a sudden you you could see the the staffers, you know, slapping their foreheads, saying, "Oh my God!" Yeah, they. But then, be- when you put in, a, when, when, well, they did, when when you're right, when when they got some pushback from people on it, and instead you of immediately go into action, yeah, and and you know, I think apologies are often underrated, oh, yeah. or just say, you know, I didn't mean that the way it came out, or. Uh, it was it was just an it was a dumb off the cuff. I don't know, but or I just even a non apology apology where you said. You could go out on a limb, maybe stretch the truth a little bit, say, you know, gosh, all these people thinking that I made fun of Governor Edwards' military service. He's a great patriot and someone that I would tell my kids is someone to look up to. In other words, what you do is you kind of do the non-apology. It's a Mm non-apology, but at the same time, you're recognizing that you crossed a line. And it would have been done. And if it it comes up again... It would have been forgotten. Well, and and it's forgotten, but if it comes up again, you could say, you know, I I addressed it. I addressed it. it. Uh, I I just... I've already talked about it. And I wouldn't go back into an an apology. I wouldn't wouldn't reprise the apology, but I've already done it. The thing is, on the other side... Now, Governor Edwards didn't directly do the David Duke ad. I think that was gumbo right, pack. Right, a third pack, third party. So let's explain to people, because I've had to do this in the last couple of weeks about sure. some of these ads on both sides. Let's explain to people how this worked with the packs. For people who don't know, and when you see a pack run an ad, and and you think, well, this candidate, in, in many cases, 
the candidate does not know what's coming and when it's coming because the PACs and the campaigns cannot coordinate. Correct. Basically, what has to be understood is that in the post-Citizens United world, which basically has been roughly the last decade, Mm -hmm. you see a TV ad, the assumption that it is the candidate's ad is not a safe assumption. Mm -hmm. And if you want to be really nerdy, what you need to do is wait till the end of the ad and see the disclosure on the bottom saying who is. So in other words, when I see an ad and it's really crappy, I'll say, let's see, what DC consulting That's right. And and lo and behold, it will be something like something, something, you know, governor's pack or Mm -hmm. Republican campaign committee, whatever. It'll be one of those groups where oftentimes it's cookie cutter stuff where probably all they did was switched out the candidate they're attacking. That's it. And these candidates on both sides, neither of these guys are consulting with these political action committees. It is it, it, you know, they would run afoul of every ethics law in line that there would be yes the images the speech anything in those ads that isn't organically created by a production team has to be something that any citizen can get access to on the internet the campaigns cannot there's the the old quote-unquote chinese wall between uh the the campaign so a lot of times people say well you know governor is behind this or eddie responi is behind this if it isn't by their campaign if it's a pack they aren't coordinating. And I happen to know in that world, as you too, you, you do too, that is taken seriously. Oh, people yeah. may not think it is, but no, it's taken very you have seriously. people who have nervous fits about what should and shouldn't be shared. Yep. And the way I've always appreciated the kind of bright line in the sand is if you are in a managerial capacity, that's where the coordination gets you into trouble. Mm-hmm. In other words, someone like me, where technically I'm just a plug and play. Sure. It doesn't really matter. Although for ethical purposes, I'm not going to go, tee guess what I learned from this? Right. That, that's, no, that's tattling. But I mean, I think the bigger issue is that we're talking about the extent to which Eddie Rispone for his $12 million spent <laughs> is getting $12 million worth of ads, good ads from his people. His ads are much better now. The, you know, the, the thing that's a shame, the one about the lady who said he paid for education, shouldn't that have been one of the early ads they did in August? Yeah, but listen, man. The, I, you know, that's such an, somebody this morning asked me an almost identical question <laughs> and I just shook my head like I'm doing now and just thinking they had no clue. They had no clue. I think the people that were on that team had a vision of who Louisiana is sure. and they caricatured us in these ads with the banjo playing in the background yeah, and the, the dueling banjos the, the guy who sounded sounded like the narrator from the dukes of hazard and God, the whole yeah. thing that was happening and i think that that's often the view of people from louisiana which is one of the reasons why people here are often pissed off at the way we're portrayed outside of the state right and you know i'll give you a perfect example of eddie's not getting his money worth money's worth ads are better now though his ads are his ads better, are a lot better I'll now. I'll give you an example of missed opportunities because, in my opinion, there are specific examples of missed opportunities that I think lead to a bigger problem, which is Governor Edwards' assertions that he's this great nonpartisan guy who gets along with Republicans and they slap him on the back is simply untrue. He is he's had a continuous disagreements with the Republicans in the state house, and some of that is in Democrats too, though. Right, but it's necessitated extra special sessions. But where I think the the Responi staff, to me, is not serving him as well as they could, I'll give you a perfect example of a pop they could do, Uh which would actually probably peel off votes from Edwards. So you have the new terminal in the New Orleans International Airport that was opened. (laughs) Oh, man. There's only one small problem. They opened this nice new whiz-baggy terminal, right? They forgot to update the road infrastructure. So you got to go through three traffic lights to get off of I-10 to get to the airport. Yeah. And since New Orleans is kind of sort of a major airport, kind of, yeah, you have a mess that I think could arguably be laid at the hands of the governor. Because to me, this was not something that everyone that just opened up out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. It was known for several years they were doing this. This is the kind of thing that DOTD should have been working with the DOTD and the congressional delegation should have been working with the New Orleans airport mm-hmm. to make sure, you know, well, hey, maybe we could put some roundabouts at these intersections. Maybe we could do the flyover, whatever. But all of a sudden it's like, oopsie, we have a new airport open and only one way to get in. And that one way is three traffic lights. If right. I were the Responi campaign, because it was being warned about by various conservative blogs for several weeks before its opening, I would have had a read an ad ready that would have been only aired to the New Orleans media market. And if you're, say, able to do more hyper-local, like, say, Jefferson and Orleans Parish, I would run this ad saying, you know, Governor Edwards talks about how he's this great guy who knows how to run things. 
You know, they can't even get an airport opening right. In other words, you got to go to the issues that matter to people, not just black. You think that would have pe- peeled off? And I mean, that Orleans Parish is, is going to be Edwards country. True. But yeah. it was so solidly Edwards, you could have peeled off a few percent. But I think the bigger point is this airport is in Jefferson Parish. That's true. That's true. Which Governor Edwards carried that's in true. the primary with yeah. 53% of the vote. In other words, he outperformed your typical Democrat mm-hmm. there. Imagine if you were running that ad in, and maybe even St. Tammany Parish, since it's already bad enough that you got to endure a 26-mile drive across the lake <laughs> and then to be stuck in airport traffic. Point it's a being, mess. Point being is, this was a pain point, kind of like when Obamacare was implemented in 2013, mm-hmm. or rather healthcare.gov, and it was a big disaster. Mm-hmm. One of the things I saw when I had actually polled Mary Landrew in that time period, I saw her approval ratings drop 10%, and it was an irreversible drop, too, because she was because she was the 60th vote on Obamacare, that disaster got her fingerprints all over it. So point being is, if ever there's a pain point... You, as the opposition party, if you have a brain, you make sure to <laughs> communicate that to the voters. And that's where I feel that out of state, having out of state consultants is a disadvantage. If they even they don't read, know the issues, if they even read the advocate.com or NOAA.com or whatever, they would have known. They would have quickly seen, ooh, look, an opportunity. Well, I don't think it, his ads haven't resonated at all. Uh, the, the early ones, mostly because, again, it was a caricature ad, the pandering LSU football ad about, you know, we'd fire the provost, the head coach, the who water knows boy. What a provost is? <laughs> Thank you. And it's like, God, who can't? But I think I but the 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 ad with his daughter it was good. It's very good. And then on the other side, John Bell hadn't had a bad ad yet. I hadn't seen one yeah. that's bad. Every every one has been good. The Sheriff's Association being behind him, the, the pictures of him at West Point, this recent ad with he and his wife uh, in the pickup truck together. Although I don't know that they that they are that they're not running afoul of seatbelt laws in that scene in the, tra- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in the truck. Know, but, uh, I'll give you another perfect missed opportunity. You're talking about not having the second chance to make the first impression. Yeah. So if you were Eddie Rispone, he has a really good resume. Yes, indeed. What I would have done, rather than doing this silly nonsense of him sitting on the truck bed talking about liberal lunatics, I would have basically had a picture of him at a construction site where, you know, talking about how he grew up poor, but he loved he loved building things when he was a kid. Yeah. And, you know, have a picture of him maybe hammering a nail into a stud or something like that and saying, you know, I love construction so much that I started a company and we create Louisiana jobs. And when Governor Edwards makes it hard for me and people I employ to stay in the state, that hurts me personally. In other words, you got to do the whole In other touch. words, tell the truth and, yeah. and just deal with that and not try to be cute. It reminds me of when Mitt Romney ran against President Obama. Oh, God. I mean, President Obama's up there talking about policy and Mitt looks like a suit dummy. Yeah. And it's like, what are you, why are you up there? And so the, the, the thing with Responi, as you say, he's got an impressive resume. Uh, he he has built a successful company. He does know how to build things yes. as the owner of a company. And I think you talk about that from the standpoint of Governor Edwards, man, it's hard to lay a glove on him because he's not had the big scandal. Right. And and for me, it was always going to be about how many doubts, how many seeds of doubt could Eddie Rispone or Ralph Abraham in the beginning. So about Governor Edwards. Right. And and what we're seeing, because I'd like to your thoughts on this, this the the Responi campaign has run a partisanship campaign. Right. They've they've made this about partisanship. They have they've associated John Bell Edwards with left leaning Democrats in Congress. They yes. they put loop him in with Hillary and Pelosi and all of these people. And the Edwards campaign has done he's touted his successes and or what he deems his successes and what he's done so what is your take on the partisanship strategy employed by the Responi campaign and the the lack of oomph behind it and and oomph in terms of results to me those ads are cookie cutter because the thing is people hear liberal 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 here's an assumption that unfortunately i don't think media consultants really get they think that everything they do is so wonderful and people want to watch it if you don't have compelling content right it doesn't matter if you put two million dollars or five million dollars or ten million dollars yeah. people want to tune it off Dude. and by the way 
Don't the, get me started. The John Cuvion rule of political campaigns is in the last week, it's sunshine and puppies. In oh, other yeah. words, you don't do these negative... Because the thing is, number one, 30% of the vote's already in the can. Yep. So you can't address that. Yep. Number two, you're assuming that people are interested enough or care about listening to some depressing negative mm-hmm. ad. They're probably going to tune it off or look at the other channel or what have you. The so, tune-out factor after last Saturday was big. Oh, yeah. Nobody was nobody around these parts wanted to be in a bad mood after Saturday night <laughs> in Alabama. Yeah. And I think, that, I think you're absolutely right about that. Now, that's an external event, too, that I think whether Responi likes it or not, can accrue to Governor Edwards' benefit. So Responi's talking about firing the water boy and this and that. If I were Governor Edwards, I'd come back and I'd say, well, you know, Louisiana's winning, and by the way, we beat Alabama, and we're number one right now. It doesn't matter if being number one is going to hold all the way until the bowl games. Point being is right now there's a euphoria because— No question. And It was do- just pandering. He did yeah. what his consultants had him do. It was oh, yeah. a pandering, silly commercial. But point being is when you talk about— associating yourself with intangibles that you really didn't have to create. Go back in time to the 1984 Olympics when Mm -hmm. Reagan got, in my opinion, a subsidiary benefit from the U.S. winning all those those medals. Mm -hmm. In other words, there was an era of good feeling at the L.A. Olympics. And similarly, when the helicopters crashed in Iran... I think that created a negative pall yeah. in the Carter presidency. So point being... God, he beat Carter like an old garage sale couch. Just oh yeah. it was, it, 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 you know, I, that whole time is so different. And, and the way politics runs now is different. I want to go back to the beginning. Sure. When you, you talked about how this is going to play out. So let's, 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 I'm going to hand you two hats. Okay. One says Rasponi. The other one says Edwards. Sure. If, if the Edwards campaign is sitting around a table and you've got your JBE cap on and they slowly turn to you and they say, well, JC, what do we need to do? What do you say? I would say this. Governor Edwards, there's some Republicans who have not necessarily bought your message and they're sitting on the fence. You need their help to get over the top. So what I would do is do some hammy little ad, not necessarily the family, but maybe even with Coach Orgeron. And basically what you do is you show Governor Edwards smiling, saying, you know, We've done a lot in the last four years, and I'm very grateful you've given me this chance to be your governor. And, you know, we're winning now. And then all of a sudden you have Coach Ogeron cut in. Blah, 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 blah. And <laughs> Coach, and Go then, Tigers. Yeah, yeah, Go Tigers. And then maybe have Coach Ogeron, you know, throw the football to Governor Edwards or something like that. In other words, something hammy that has zero intellectual content, content but creates good feelings. That's how I would end the Edwards campaign is basically – you want to associate Governor Edwards with winning and happy feelings. Mm-hmm. And then uh, on the other side of it, a large, beautiful conference room. You're sitting in there and you've got the other cap on and it's got Rasponi, which, mm-hmm. by the way, nobody told Laura Ingram how it's pronounced, apparently, because oh, she said Raspone about 100,000 times. <laughs> and uh, I had a reporter say that today, too. <laughs> Raspone. It's like, God, that's just. It's like, surely there's Italians outside of Louisiana, guys. Right. It, yeah, so, so you're sitting around the table. You got your Raspone hat on sorry i couldn't help myself and uh and your responi cap on and they look at you and they say jc here we are man we're, we're the can-do kid we're in the last stretch of this thing what do we do to win i'm of two thoughts one of them is something that should have been done last week but okay so the democrats are now going overboard on impeachment with having these public hearings and so forth that creates a lot of negative energy if i were responi i would tap into that in other words you kind of create a fear that you know, Governor Edwards is a good man personally, but he's associating with these people up in Washington who want to take our president down. Let's not let that happen to Louisiana. That's one thought I have. The other thought I would have is kind of a delayed messaging that should have been done in August. Okay. But basically, at this stage in the game, I'm of the opinion in general you can't do attacks. So if you're a Spony, basically you kind of do the etch-a-sketch thing and forget all the ads you've done. And basically, the, <laughs> I'm sure they'd love to. Well, yeah. But point being is rather than go back to that uh, feedback loop over and over and over again, what I would do instead is if I were a Spony, I would start with a picture of, of Eddie talking with his wife. And as the camera slowly pans out, you show the numerous Rasponi children and grandchildren. And you talk about, and, and the theme of the ad would be family. Mm-hmm. And you talk about how as a family, you know, the company I founded at ISC, we treat everybody like family. And, you know, we provide a lot of benefit to Louisiana. And I feel there's a lot more we could do 
to keep our kids from going off to Houston or mm -hmm. Atlanta or Dallas. And Governor Edwards hasn't really done enough. And that's when you start panning out to the grandchildren. You're saying, you know, I don't want these, I don't want all the people in this shot to have to go to Houston or Atlanta or Dallas. I want them to make their livings here in Louisiana where I can get to enjoy them for Christmas. So in other words, you're kind of doing a little hamminess. But point being is you want to talk about Louisiana's failure to be an economic powerhouse like, say, a Texas or a Georgia. Because the thing is, Governor Edwards is saying that, but the reality is when the census figures come out next year, not only is Louisiana going to have population growth probably in the 3 to 5% range, yeah. there is actually a legitimate question over whether we'll keep our sixth congressional seat. Yeah, that, well, and that, that conversation's been going on for a little while. I think the whole redistricting conversation, I don't know that people realize how important that's going to be based upon some of these wins and losses in the legislature recently. Especially, some of them are directly correlated to a push for certain redistricting. Especially since a reelected Democratic governor could theoretically veto any, any redistricting bills. That's right. And so now, granted, that's something that only matters to 1%. But if that 1% happens to be political operatives who have checkbooks, mm -hmm. well, you can kind of stir them into the action. But point being is, if I'm, if I'm responding, I would certainly not do anything to attack Governor Edwards, but I would end on a happy a happy but bittersweet note where basically you talk about how important your family is and show all the Rasponi extended family in the mm -hmm. shot as you pan out. And basically your theme is there's so much more we can do in Louisiana, and we've been on pause for the last four years. For him to be in this place right now, someone who has never run for office, and I mean, he spent, as you mentioned earlier, twelve million of his own money to to do this, and now he is in a runoff with Governor Edwards, Edwards with a puncher's chance to win. I mean, I think we both believe Governor Edwards has a has a slight edge right now, but I, yeah. in my opinion, I think that's that's largely due to Republicans who haven't yet coalesced around Eddie, and and some that are staying home. But it's interesting, and it's... Well, the, regardless of what the actual number is, I do think it'll be a fairly close race. But regardless yeah. of what the actual number is, there are two variables that are going to power the Saturday night returns. Mm -hmm. Number one, what's the level of black turnout? Number two, what's the Abraham vote going to be? And what I'm particularly going to be looking for on the election results Saturday night as I make my calls or delay to make my calls <laughs> is the early vote comes in first. I would expect Governor Edwards to have a decent lead there because it was a 31 percent yeah. black constituency. Yeah. Yeah. The question mark is, let's say in a given parish, Governor Edwards gets, let's say, 55 percent of the vote. Mm -hmm. If the precinct vote that comes in stays 55 percent, that means that black turnout on Election Day equaled what it was on early vote and therefore a win. Yeah. If, however, Governor Edwards's numbers start slipping what it was to the early vote, then that suggests to me you did not have as strong of a Democratic turnout mm -hmm. as forecast. Now, the reverse happened in the primary, which was you had a strong Republican early vote turnout and Governor Edwards was in the low, low to mid 40s. Right. But as the precinct results started coming in, his numbers started edging up, but not edging up to the point to where I thought he was going to win with 50 percent. Right. And in fact, that is what happened where a 25% black early voting turnout was 28.4% on election day. So in other words, the Democrats did a little better. Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not yet of the opinion that a 31% black early vote is going to be a 31% election day vote. But if it is 29 or 30%, which is still higher than the primary, then that to me is a signal of Governor Edwards is winning. I hear you. And, and it, I'm just curious as to whether or not that high early vote number is basically the election day number that just early voted. I'm not saying it is or it isn't, but I, I'm just yeah. curious about that. And, and we're going to know in, right. in less than 48 hours, but yeah. uh, or in, in just over 48 hours. And, but I just I'm curious about that. What I've seen what I've seen from going back in time is this. It's not like you're going to say have an early vote. And I'm just throwing out numbers here. Yeah. It's not like you can have an early vote that's 60% for Edwards and an election day vote that's 60% Rasponi. Mm -hmm. It's going to be more like whatever the early day vote or the early vote was, the election day vote will be within a couple points of it. In other words, a reasonably hmm. good forecaster. So, man, people are going to I'm going to have to give you your own show here because I know <laughs> I know once once this is over with, we'll be doing a an after action on this next week and I'm excited about it. It's I think we can say going into four years ago, we both expected John Bell Edwards to win. Yes. And it's funny, you go four years before then, Bobby Jindal basically made certain that oh, yeah. no person of consequence was running against him. 
you know, four years before that, Governor Blanco didn't want didn't run. And it was the same thing. It was Walter Boisso. So it's it's really been I think the last time we had one of these margin close margin races was the first was the the blanco uh gendal race yes when it wasn't clear what was going to happen and republicans didn't really come out to coalesce behind this 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 young man that they didn't believe in fully yet and you also had a couple things too in 2003 that were different that was back then there were there was a considerable amount of suspicion about governor gendal in the more rural areas Mm -hmm. and that hurt him we also did not have early voting back in 2003. In other no. words, you had absentee voting. Right. Where you had to have a reason. So in other words, there was really no distant early warning, so to speak. It wasn't until the 07 gubernatorial elections that you started having early voting on any kind of widespread basis. Mm-hmm. I think technically it went in in 06, but those were secretary of state and insurance yeah. commissioner were on the ballot. I mean, you know, ho-hum. We didn't have any, we didn't have any big fights. I mean, Jindal really did not have any big challengers against him when he was running. And then four years ago, you had two Republicans, either of which could have been governor had they been in the runoff against John Bell Edwards. And so here we are now because he's stayed, as I said earlier, largely big scandal free. You know, he's not hated. This is the reddest state in the Gulf South. And here he is on the on the brink of being reelected. But what Responi has done, it's interesting if, if Responi's campaign had been better run in the beginning if his introduction to the public through those ads mm-hmm. had been done better i would think we'd be sitting here right now saying it's a foregone conclusion he's going to win yeah and i think he's had to recover so much ground because his campaign just wasn't in my opinion that good early on yeah we well, you know the interesting thing i saw so the polling i did throughout the primary and runoff season is that with the seven to one cash advantage that mm-hmm. Rasponi had over Abraham, I would have expected Rasponi to finish ten points ahead of Abraham. He was on three th- points up on yeah. him. Yeah, you did have a considerable conservative backlash, some from rural folks, and you also had the talk radio uh, demographic. That, <laughs> Moon, yeah, Moon, more specifically, Moon. Moon I got a text from him this morning. Okay, <laughs> he's but, giving me his predictions too. Of course, he okay. believes that. Uh, he believes Rasponi's going to pull it out. He's, he, he, you know, he's. I won't divulge everything else he said, but, uh, but yeah, he believes he, he's not a John Bell Edwards fan, as you may have been <laughs> to able put it to politely. glean. But the interesting thing was when you had Moon Griffon take it upon himself to attack Eddie Rasponi and not just attack him, but to say he was echoing, uh, quote unquote, Bell Edwards's talking points and gumbo pack. Basically, he was crossing the red line of civility, and, bas- and he was basically throwing down a marker saying, you know, Rasponi, you cross this line, therefore I'm going to support Abraham. I do think there's a substantial number of conservative voters who agreed with that assessment. No question. And why is Abraham doing an ad, radio or television, in support of Rasponi? Uh, not to my knowledge. I mean, like I said, all That's of these— fascinating, Well, man. here's another thing, too. This is, this is the reading between the lines stuff. So in addition to what I was telling you about— the two not appearing on the same stage at the same time, which yeah. to me is a mega missed photo op. Mm-hmm. Uh, two other things caught my attention. Number one, when you notice how much President Trump was buttering up Ralph Abraham during the speech, mm-hmm. my read into that was he probably was having to do some arm twisting. He and Scalise combined having to do some arm twisting to get Ralph to show up on that stage. No question. So they were basically kind of, you know, gently petting him, yeah. buttering up his ego. But the other thing, too, which is interesting is, so you hear all these things in the paper about, first it was State Representative Bubba Cheney kind of talking about people who were supporting John Bell who felt that Ralph was done wrong, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And then, lo and behold, Ralph Abraham's own son-in-law giving $5,000 to Governor Edwards. Mm -hmm. Those are the kind of underneath the covers. (laughs) I'm telling you, man, that's a big thing that people aren't paying attention to. There's some hurt feelings there still. Because you better believe that his son-in-law would not embarrass Ralph in that way without some kind of a tacit, I don't want to say approval, but let's say lack of strong disapproval. No question. I mean, you see people cross over as, you know, Hillary Clinton ended up being a member of the Obama cabinet. Yes. Uh, Gosh, Ronald Reagan chose George H.W. Bush, who was a competitor, to be his vice president, you know. And so you, you see all of that. And it's. I don't know. It's 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 going to be something to see how it all plays out. I'm fascinated. Tell people how they can how they can reach you and read all of the great information you put out. Certainly. So typically, what I like to do, my Twitter handle is at Win with JMC, which is where I 
anything I want to say, which of course is data oriented and I stay away from punditry. Mm-hmm. I post a lot on Twitter. I also have a Facebook page, JMC Enterprises. And uh, it's uh, worth the follow, folks. And then my website, winwithjmc.com, where, of course, I post various things that I see and, mm-hmm. again, in a nonpartisan manner because I want to let the data do the talking. By the way, can you do anything to just get John Kennedy to stop? Just <laughs> just stop. Oh, you mean the happy with crappy? Just just stop, dude. <laughs> just stop. I mean, he's he's a brilliant man with a great resume. But, God, just you got to stop. You got to stop, man. I mean, you just got to stop. It just anyway, that, that's a that's a show for another day. But you, for the love of you just got to stop anyway. So when with J, <laughs> JMC, uh, I didn't want to pull you. You see how quiet he got when I brought that up. Huh? But that's that's uh, <laughs> oh, I, I'm always I'm always very careful when it comes to commentary on those already in public office. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. Unless it's in campaign mode. That's an entirely different matter. No, that's, I'm talking specifically about the stuff in the campaign. Yeah, like happy with crappy. Happy with crappy, uh, calling Pelosi dumb, the yeah, whole thing. That's I wouldn't just, have done that. I just, that, that's really what I mean. I think for people who don't know about John Kennedy, go look up his resume. He, he has done, he, uh, he has an impressive resume and a body of work. And this, this version of him in the last three years is one Louisiana never saw because he was never that way here. And I think it betrays the intellect he has because at some point you're waiting on him to walk out with one of those jugs that they used to have on Beverly Hillbillies and just, (laughs) you know, with the rheumatism, you know, just, it's just, come on, come on. Well, my attitude too is you do have a stereotype out there that the Republicans keep playing into, which is not being uh, tolerant of those who are anybody other than a white Southern male. And my attitude is why do things to reinforce the stereotype? I mean, you have all kinds of, I mean, for instance, the Republicans elected a black attorney general in Kentucky. Oh, sure. I mean, that's the president was at an event in Atlanta for black voters who supported him. Yeah. And, you know, there, there was a large crowd there and some people in the room that I actually didn't know were Trump supporters. And so it's, you know, watching the, I saw the, the video of it last week. And I just think, you know, trying to fight against that. And then when, when, again, I'm telling you, I know John Kennedy, he is not a mean man, but on television, the stuff that he says, and, and like I said, the calling her dumb, you see Trump's reaction behind him was almost a non-reaction. It's like, no, are we doing that? No, yeah. let's not do that. So I don't know, but just, uh, just stop. Yeah. Thank you, John. Yep. Pleasure. Podcast225.com. Podcasts have become a great way to get radio on demand. If you've wanted your own podcast, the time to call us is now. This year, Podcast 225 will be launching new shows and yours can be one of them. You won't have to build your own website and you'll be able to use professional broadcast equipment that will make your show sound amazing. If you'd like to know more, call 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Be a part of the on-demand audio movement today. This is Jeff LaDuff, retired chief of police for the city of Baton Rouge. I'm Kelly LaDuff, co-owner of Open Eyes Safety Training and Consulting. Open Eyes is focused on providing quality safety solutions that give businesses and employees the skill set needed to recognize and react to dangerous situations. On a daily basis, we hear yet another story of workplace violence or active shooter. Open Eyes offers a unique approach to keeping you and your businesses safe through site analysis, technology recommendations, policy review, and employee training. To set up a consultation for your business, call us today at 225-313-9713 or visit us at our website at openeyesafetytraining.com. We say keep open eyes because 10% of our population cause 90% of our problems. See them before they see you. This is The Clay Young Show. Right now at podcast225.com is the Crime Stoppers podcast. Episode one featuring the story of Janessa Hartley is there now. This podcast, it will be different than what you have heard here from the site. It won't be interview intensive. There may be some episodes in the future that will feature interviews, but this is an exercise in storytelling, talking about incidents that involve the murders of people across the capital region here in Louisiana. 
and I wanted to give you a little bit of a taste of what the show is and what it will sound like. So here's an excerpt from episode one of the Crime Stoppers podcast. The previous week, uh, uh, there was another good friend of ours who had contacted us and wanted to get together for Nessa's birthday. And so uh, we made arrangements to go out to dinner and celebrate her birthday on the 15th. The day of that dinner, Nessa had texted me asking if, she, if I wanted her to pick me up because we live a couple of blocks from each other. And I said, sure. And so uh, that evening she came and got me and we met our other friend at dinner and we had an enjoyable evening just celebrating her birthday and catching up because we hadn't seen each other. Uh, the other friend hadn't seen her in a, a long time. And um, after we were finished, we got in the car and uh, we drove to my house for her to drop me off. Over the years, Linda and Nessa had a similar routine after spending a day or an evening out on the town. Whenever we went somewhere, which was often, either she was driving or I was driving, either she was dropping me off or I was dropping her off. And whenever we did that, we would stay in the car because we were just chit-chatting. You know, even though we'd spent time together, when it's time to say goodbye, we just sit in the driveway and you just start talking about stuff. And that's what happened this evening. Uh, we were chit-chatting. Ordinarily, it could be 30 minutes or an hour we would be sitting in the driveway just because we would talk. This evening was a little unusual in that we were only in the driveway for 10 minutes. And uh, it was because I was a little bit tired. I had worked a long day that day. And I was just getting ready to... I was actually in the middle of saying my goodbyes when we saw a shadow kind of creep us out and we were kind of like what was that it was almost like just a motion and we were asking each other what was that what so now detective walter griffin with the baton rouge police department joins us to talk about the case of janessa hartley i just played for you an excerpt from episode number one detective how are you man I'm doing well. How are you doing today, Clay? Pretty good. Pretty good. We spent some time together having a discussion about that day, and then obviously here in the studio you were here to, to talk about it for the show. And when you think back on this case, because I know that you've got, you've got many, and we'll get to that in a moment, what are some things that come to mind about this, this incident with Nessa Hartley? Of course, first thing comes to mind is how tragic it was. But secondly, uh, it's surprising that so much time has passed and no one has stepped forward and called to say what they saw or maybe what they thought they didn't see or, or heard or anything of that nature. It's just You know, there have been several attempts from us, meaning the Baton Rouge Police Department, to reach out to the community to ask, you know, for their assistance in this because, you know, oftentimes people see things and don't really pay attention to it or, you know, uh, think that it's no big deal, but in essence, it's really a big deal for us. It could help us tremendously. And I think about the, the having met the family and and what they're going through right now. And you know, without rehashing it, because people need to listen to the show if they want to hear all of the details of what went into it. As you explain, you know, the incident leading up to it, incidents leading up to it, and then what you did afterwards. But just for people who who don't have perspective. The, the amount of work that goes into trying to solve a case is tremendous. Can you talk a little bit about that? There's so many moving parts that come together to make a whole uh, on every last one of these cases. I mean, once I get the call or once the, the, our division gets the call, per se, everybody is notified. And so we all ascend on the scene. Every, you know, and we break up individual duties, uh, for example, processing the scene, uh, photographing the scene, collecting any evidence that uh, maybe may have been left on the scene or used in the commission of that uh, incident. Then you, after that is all said and done, then you come back and you put it on paper. Then you come back out later, which uh, we did several times. I know off the top of my head, I think we spent over two weeks uh, in that area just walking the street, doing good old-fashioned police work, walking, walking up and down the street, knocking on doors, uh, introducing ourselves and, you know, asking people, you know, what were you doing that night? Uh, do you remember what, what was going on, you know, at that particular time? 
you compile all of that together. Then after you compile all of that to, together, you sit and let it rest for a minute, you know, and then we come back and we, somebody says something that, that may be uh, stimulating to the lead detective and they come back and we're like, did you think of this? Did you think of that? And uh, then we go back and run that down as well. And it's a constant evolving process when you, because you, you, you're constantly sharing your general information and making inquiries with your fellow de- detectives to try and come to the conclusion of making an arrest and officially charging someone for the murder. And that's a, that's just like a, a cliff note version of what we do yeah. every day. Yeah. I mean, and, and again, you, you explain it so well in the podcast and people should go listen. It, it, like it, it was episode one. We enjoyed it. But, I, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, man, what else you got working out there that, that maybe can be featured on the Crime Stoppers podcast? Well, the one that really comes to mind was the, the murder of Brent Baptiste, Brent Jameson Baptiste. It happened uh, in 2018, mm-hmm. May 31st of 2018. He was a, a, a young young adult that was fresh into the workforce, fresh out of college, and uh, his life was extinguished. And uh, he was found murdered in his car. And once again, that whole process, we did that exact same process again. And we've come up, I've come up with a goose egg. We've come up with a goose egg. There has been no calls from citizens that were in the area hmm. or in or around the area that, that saw someone or heard something because... Here's the most important thing that a lot of people don't realize and don't factor in. Somebody heard some, heard that the gunfire, and of course it's human nature. When you hear gunfire, you you're gonna look out the window. I'm you know I be I'm on a day to day basis begging people that did that exact action, please call in. And you don't have to you don't have to call me directly. You can just call it in straight in the Crime Stopper. If you want to remain anonymous, just call it in and tell us so I can have some type of direction to focus my efforts on. Because this this young man, you know, was at the beginning of his work career and his life was extinguished. And I'm still not able to find out who and why. And it happened right at the time when everybody's getting ready to go to work at 6.45 in the morning. Wow. So everybody's moving. This, this was not uh, one of those that happens at 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. in the morning when there are very few people that are moving about in the city. This was in the morning when the city has awakened and everybody is uh, starting their day off or ending their day. The the people that work overnight, they're Mm -hmm. they're headed home. You know, so there was a lot of people that that should have been moving about in that area that probably saw something that didn't think enough of it to tell us. Well, wow. Well, I mean, that could that uh, fascinating hearing about it. I I can only imagine the details around it. But listen, man, thanks again for all you do every day. But but most importantly, for this show and and being so gracious and and so forthcoming with us to get the information out to hopefully help in in catching the, the person who killed this lady. Yes. Thank you so much. I appreciate you so immensely. Clay. Thank you, man. And uh, to all of the people involved with solving these cases. We all owe you guys a debt of gratitude. He is Detective Walter Griffin with the Baton Rouge Police Department lead investigator and the case of Janessa Hartley. It is episode one of the Crime Stoppers podcast right now available to you at podcast225.com. Executive Tone of Louisiana has been helping businesses in Baton Rouge save money on their telecommunications for over 40 years. Executive Tone will help businesses upgrade their phones and intercom systems, save money, and never have to worry about local customer support. Doctors' offices, hospitals, schools, businesses, it doesn't matter. All kind have depended on the good people at Executive Tone to upgrade technology and save money. I have a question for you. Do you like saving money? Sure, of course you do. Here's another one. Do you want to keep the most up-to-date phone and intercom technology while saving money. That's what it's all about. That's a no-brainer. Don't get sucked in by out-of-town companies who are not here if you need technical support. Executone has been here, and they believe in the value of customer service, baby. Don't take my word for it. Give them a call, 225-295-3500. That's 295-3500. Oh, look them up. ExecutoneLA.com. Executone of Louisiana. They still here, and they're going to continue to give you great service. The issues, the policies, the people. This is The Clay Young Show. Every little, every little, every little thing about her.
episode 221. And you got a two for two in this one, right? Talking about podcasts, the Crime Stoppers podcast, and of course the election cycle, the governor's race this weekend. If you're listening after the fact, how'd we do? If you're listening before the election, let's see how we do. How about that? Thank you again for being with us on the show. Thanks for John Cuvion for coming in studio and sharing his tremendous insights on politics and what he thinks is going to happen this weekend. And a special thanks to Detective Griffin for sharing with us, talking about the Hartley case, the work that these men and women do on a daily basis trying to bring justice to victims of violence and their families. Is it, it is so amazing, and I just don't think we do enough to thank these men and women. I mean, there are so many families around this country who have suffered a loss. And the only thing that makes that loss worse is not knowing who the perpetrator is. And when someone is told, we know who did it, may or may not know why they did it, but we got them or we have them. I mean, that does bring some measure of justice to these families. And we're hoping that the Crime Stoppers podcast helps us be able to get the word out and hopefully, hopefully somebody will will say they saw something or will remember something they saw and bring justice to these families. The case of Janessa Hartley is but the first. There will be more. Episode two will be on the way. And I hope that uh, that you guys will share the word about that podcast as well. All right. As I said in the open, this is Thanksgiving season. Love me some Thanksgiving season. We're in it right now. All the food and all the time, it's just, it's just a, it's a great time to be alive. Hopefully you are enjoying it as well. And thank you for being with us on episode 221 of the Clay Young Show. Don't forget, again, on Facebook, Instagram, it's Clay underscore Young BR. On the Twitter, it is, uh, I'm going to stop saying it that way. <laughs> it's at Clay Young BR. You guys be blessed, and we'll catch you on episode 222 of the Clay Young Show. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Clay Young Show.